Book 6, Chapter 3, Part 2 of The History of the Inquisition of Spain, Volume 2. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The History of the Inquisition of Spain, Volume 2, by Henry Charles Lee. Book 6, Practice. Chapter 3, Part 2, Arrest and Sequestration. Another feature of extreme severity, which, however, was common to secular and episcopal, as well as to inquisitorial practice, was the sequestration which accompanied arrest in all cases involving confiscation. The losses and hardships incident to this were fully recognized in secular proceedings, and, in 1646, the Cortes of Aragon endeavored to mitigate them and also to prevent the frauds which were admitted to be frequent. On the other hand, to have the property of the accused in the power of his family was to risk its dissipation before the conclusion of the trial. It had to be preserved at all hazards, and the only way to do this was to make sure of it by seizure at the moment of arrest. The importance attributed to this by the Holy Office is seen in the details which form so prominent a portion of the instructions. It is true that the canon law strictly prohibited the seizure of property before a sentence of condemnation had been duly rendered. But this had been framed at a time when the temporal lords enjoyed the confiscations, and was disregarded when they inured to the benefit of those who decreed them. The alguazil executing a warrant of arrest was accompanied by a notorio de secrestas, or notary of sequestrations, who at once seized all visible property and compiled a minute inventory. It was then placed in the hands of a sequestrador, or despitario, who held it until the case was decided, when, if confiscation was decreed, he handed it over to the receiver. If not, it was returned, or what was left of it, to the owner. In the earliest instructions, the receiver and his scrivener accompanied the notary of sequestrations, and two copies of the inventory were made. Much conflicting legislation followed, directed to finding means for preventing the receiver from appropriating portions of the sequestrations. But the trouble was perennial, and, in interrogatories drawn up for inspectors on their visitations, there was one which required all officials to declare whether the receiver had taken any sequestrated property before the case of the owner was determined. Irregularities continued, and, in 1633, some respect was paid to the interest of the accused by a rule that a representative appointed by him should be present with the receiver and notary when seizing the property and making the inventory in sixteen thirty five this was followed by requiring the senior inquisitor to report promptly to the suprema all details as to kind and amount of property sequestrated and whether any collusion or secreting of goods had occurred a mandate of which the frequent repetition shows the difficulty of its enforcement. Finally, in 1654, Philip IV assembled a junta to
to formulate regulations by which, when farmers of the revenue were arrested, the interests of the royal fisc, of all creditors, and of the owner, if acquitted, might be protected. These provided that the first duty, on making an arrest, was to search the prisoner for papers and keys. He was then told to name a representative to be present at the sequestration and inventory. If the hour suited, this followed at once. Otherwise, it was postponed until the next day, padlocks being meanwhile placed on everything, and one or two guards being stationed. The inventory was made in the minutest detail, room by room, specifying the contents of all desks, trunks, chests, and other receptacles. The keys were then delivered to the depository selected, who receipted for the property and became responsible for it. Then followed immediately the Audiencia de Hacienda, in which the prisoner was made to give an account of all of his possessions. If, among the effects seized, were some of a nature requiring them to be sold, or if it was necessary to provide for the food of the prisoner, they were disposed of at auction, after appraisement made in the presence of his representative. As the inventory was the basis of all further proceedings, from a very early period rigid instructions were issued that it should be complete to the minutest detail. Every paper found in the prisoner's possession was to be enumerated. In 1607, the Suprema complained of negligence in this respect, and ordered that, in future, not only must every paper be set down, but also its nature and contents. Such inventories, as I have had an opportunity of examining, show the laborious trifling entailed by these instructions. In the case, for instance, of Margarita Altamira, in 1681, the list covers four closely written pages, consisting of entries such as an old pair of scissors, a worn toe-towel, an old broom, an earthen pot, etc. She was the wife of an agricultural laborer, apparently separated from her husband, and owning nothing save her little household plenishing and clothes. Official zeal sometimes outtrained discretion, gravely affecting the interests of others, as when, in 1597, the Suprema was obliged to issue instructions that, when heretic shipmasters were arrested in the seaports, only their own effects were to be seized, and not the ships and cargoes. It was unavoidable that the property of third parties, in the hands of the accused, should be included in the sequestration, and, as we have seen, from an early period the orders were that such goods should be surrendered as soon as owners should prove their rights. Such cases were of perpetual occurrence, causing much damage or inconvenience, and were attended with exasperating delays. The daughters of Brianda Royce, reconciled with confiscation, presented, March 19, 1530, a claim for some seventy articles of household furnishing, which were not adjudged to them until July 7, 1531. The list included a pair of chickens, which had doubtless long before disappeared in the Oya, 
the case of margarita altanara affords some quaint illustrations of the annoyances inflicted on those who chanced to have had dealings with the accused she was arrested in november sixteen eighty one and on april eighth sixteen eighty two the priest francisco juan sanz presented a petition representing that among the effects sequestrated was a lot of shirts and undergarments of which he furnished a list margarita apparently having been his washerwoman the paper was endorsed to be filed away and its proof to be received in proper time the proper time was slow in coming for in august a good padre again petitioned for his shirts but whether he eventually recovered them the documents fail to show a year later august third sixteen eighty three margarita batley made application for a cradle which she said that she had lent to altanara the case was referred to the receiver who reported that there was in the sequestration an old cradle which if sold might fetch two or three reales then on august twenty fifth the inquisitors resolved that as it was of so little value it might be surrendered to her on her proving ownership under oath and on october sixth she was duly sworn and examined she described the cradle told from whom it was bought at the price of two reales explained why she had lent it and why she had not reclaimed it prior to altamira's arrest whereupon it was ordered to be restored to her evidently there was no haste in relieving the necessities of those who were caught in the sweep of sequestration it was very properly a cardinal principle frequently reiterated that sequestrated property was sacred and was not to be diverted however great might be the necessity it was easier however to enunciate such a self-denying ordinance than to observe it in an institution practically secure from supervision ferdinand set the example by selling or granting as favors numerous houses in perpignan abandoned by fugitives before the inquisition was in operation in roussillon and he had no scruple in assuming the condemnation of the owners before their prosecution had commenced we have seen how in sixteen forty four the suprema admitted to philip the fourth that to satisfy his exigencies it had sold sequestrated property for which the owners who had been acquitted were clamoring in fact the use of such property became habitual for towards the end of the century we find an official depositario of the suprema in charge of the sequestrations who was accustomed to meet from the funds in his hands the expenses of the madrid tribunal subject of course to repayment in one transaction of the kind the advance made july third sixteen eighty was not refunded until november seventeenth sixteen eighty one the tribunal was thus exposed to the risk that its decisions might be influenced by the condition of its account with the depositario at first there would seem to have been no provision for the family of a prisoner whose property was thus suddenly seized they were cast adrift and deprived of subsistence regardless of the fact that confiscation might not be decreed 
in the early instructions there is no arrangement for their support during the trial and any exceptions to this were matters of favor as when ferdinand july eleventh fourteen eighty six wrote to the receiver of saragossa that as the lands and property of juan navarro had been sequestrated as his children had no other support and as one of them had rendered him good service all the rents and profits of the estate should be paid to them during the pendency of the case common humanity demanded that some attention be paid to the necessities of the innocent and helpless while confiscation was as yet uncertain and in time this severity was relaxed though it cannot be positively stated when this commenced the earliest allusion to it that i have met occurs in the memorial of yarena in 1506 which while denouncing the cruelty of turning the family into the streets at night admits that some allowance was made to them from the sequestrations it complains however that this was miserably insufficient and so irregularly paid that sometimes months elapsed without anything being received in one case two little daughters of a rich prisoner perished of hunger and their elder sisters subsisted by beggary at night a woman thus left with ten souls dependent upon her was allowed twenty-five maravedis a day when two hundred and fifty were requisite and even of this pittance she had received nothing for three months the matter was one which called for regulation and various experimental instructions were issued from time to time absolute arrangements were not easy to provide and between fifteen thirty eight and fifteen fifty eight a number of utterances show the difficulty of reaching a satisfactory result the general features of these are that the inquisitors are to consult with the receiver and notary of sequestrations and assign an allowance proportioned to the amount of the property and station of the recipients while consideration is to be given to the ability of individuals to earn a living provided it is not derogatory to their rank a definite policy was finally reached in the instructions of fifteen sixty one which remained the standard these provide that if the wife or children of a prisoner apply for support he is to be consulted and if he so wishes an allowance out of the sequestration is to be made to them proportioned to their station but if there are some of an age to work they must provide for themselves this was a matter of grace and not of right for a subsequent regulation restricts the grant to a limited time because the trial may be prolonged and it may be advisable to discontinue the payments in fifteen sixty seven it was added that common clothes and bedding could be given but every article must be specified as the depositaries were apt to be too liberal unless restricted it thus became a settled principle that the family of a prisoner was to be cared for out of the sequestration of its head if he had property and in the printed form of a warrant of arrest in sixteen ninety six this is specified as the object of placing it in the hands of a depositary selected by the prisoner
while recognizing the humanity of these provisions it may be questioned how far they relieved the hardships of dependence especially in the latter period when the dilatory methods of the inquisition prolonged the trials inordinately unless an estate was unusually large it was apt to be speedily consumed by wasteful methods and an accumulation of expenses as we shall see hereafter unless the accused was penniless the cost of his maintenance in prison was a first lien on his sequestrated property and if there was not ready money his effects were auctioned off to supply it the strictness of the rule to pay all expenses out of the sequestration is illustrated in the case of two children of antonio enriquez barrios confined with their father in the prison of the tribunal of madrid when they were discharged fourteen hundred twenty-three reales the cost of their clothing and food were collected from the sequestrated estate of their father whose trial was unfinished it may be assumed under such a system that when the accused escaped without confiscation only a remnant of his property was restored to him especially as he had to accept on account from the depositario whatever the tribunal had ordered to be paid out of the sequestration and be content with the balance while whatever he might owe for his prison maintenance had to be paid before an order was issued to lift the embargo in this respect a suspension of the case was equivalent to an acquittal and entitled him to resume possession of what remained of his property of course nothing could compensate a man engaged in trade for thus locking up during years all his business concerns to such a one arrest with sequestration meant ruin however clearly his innocence might be demonstrated after the prolonged proceedings of the tribunal a curious inventory of a printing office thus seized shows the breaking up of a business and the destruction of the means of livelihood one item is quote, a hundred and twenty reams of the third volume of rodriguez the book at present in hand close quote, which is highly suggestive of the loss inflicted without redress on other parties concerned as author or publisher as also of the sacrifice incurred by preemptory auction sales of such material the office of secrastador or depository would seem in the earlier period to have been regarded as desirable and it certainly offered opportunities for the dishonest that these were sometimes improved is apparent from the case in fifteen ten of fernando de mesa a jurado of cordova who was secrestador of the estate of a certain selamin by the time the latter was condemned mesa had died and the sequestrated property was not forthcoming he had placed four daughters as nuns in the convent of santa ines and their share of the defalcation was thirty thousand maravedis but the convent pleaded inability to pay through poverty and ferdinand kindly forgave it the debt to the honest however the office was in every way undesirable it involved labor anxiety and responsibility without payment but 
when selected and approved the appointee was obliged to serve under penalty of excommunication and a fine of ten or twenty thousand maravedis it was recommended that if possible he should not be a kinsman of the prisoner or a converso and he was always to be of good repute and standing if the accused was a householder the house was locked and the keys were given to the depository otherwise he was put to the expense of storage he was obliged to sign a paper subjecting himself to the penalties imposed on him by the alguazil and pledging his person and property to make good any deficiencies occurring through error or negligence for which he renounced his fuero and submitted himself wholly to the inquisition the perplexities and tribulations to which he was exposed are illustrated by those of Juame Tajes, who served as depositario in the case of Margarita Altamira. He appealed, April 26, 1682, to the inquisitors, representing that, when the sequestration was made, he was given the key of the house, but he is now required to surrender it to the owner and to have the goods stored safely. He has no room for them in his own house, and petitions to have them delivered to someone else. No attention was paid to this, and, on May 14th, the owner of the house, a priest named Francisco Canudes, came forward with a complaint. On March 26th, he had obtained an order for the key, but Tajes refused to surrender it wherefore he desires that he be forced to do so and to pay him six months rent the documents fail to inform us what was the solution of the complication which the tribunal had thus created but the affair illustrates the manner in which the inquisition was wont to call for gratuitous services and to pay little regard to the convenience or interest of those on whom it imposed onerous duties there were some limitations on the power of sequestration it was confined to property found in possession of the accused whatever he owned that was in the hands of third parties could not be sequestrated and had to await sentence of confiscation before it could be seized an application of this principle led to the somewhat remarkable rule that there could be no sequestration in prosecutions of the dead however convincing the proofs of guilt because the possessions of the offender had passed into the hands of third parties as early as fifteen thirty seven this was prescribed by the suprema in a letter to the tribunal of barcelona and it was embodied in the instructions of fifteen sixty one a more important limitation confined sequestration to arrest on charges of formal heresy and the fiscal was required in his clamosa to specify whether or not he asked for it though as late as fifteen seventy five the suprema was obliged to notify the tribunal of valencia that heresy was a prerequisite of sequestration the definition of heresy, however, was somewhat elastic, and when, in 1573, a determined effort was made to eradicate the general popular belief 
that fornication between the unmarried was not a mortal sin, it was ordered to be prosecuted as heresy with sequestration. When formal heresy was involved, sequestration was to be decreed, whether the accused had property or not, and in 1665 the Suprema rebuked the tribunal of Barcelona for omitting it in the case of a galley slave. The Inquisition at length grew restive under the limitation of sequestration to formal heresy, for as heretics grew fewer, it exempted a vast proportion of the cases which formed the current business of the tribunals, consisting of blasphemy, sorcery, bigamy, solicitation, marriage of clerics, propositions scandalous, audacious, or ill-sounding, the possession of prohibited books, and, in fact, as we are told, all offenses which did not, in law, import confiscation. In these cases, the warrant of arrest, during the sixteenth century, instructed the alguazil to arrange so that the prisoner could leave his property in the hands of any one whom he should select, to be used for the maintenance of himself and his family, and an inventory was to be made to prevent misappropriation. In time, the Inquisition outgrew this consideration for innocent sufferers, which reduced it to sharing with them in the use of what was apt, to disappear in the course of the protracted trials. To remedy this, and without, so far as appears, any warrant of law, the expedient was devised of substituting for the word sequestration the euphemistic term of embargo, and ordering the property of all prisoners not liable to confiscation to be embargoed. The words had the same meaning, and, in the earlier time, were used as identical, often copulatively as embargo y sequestro a mere pleonasm of legal phraseology, the context showing that sequestration was meant. The slight shade of difference was that in embargo the prisoner selected the depository who was to hold the property and pay from it the expenses of his maintenance in prison during his trial. Thus sequestration, under the flimsy veil of calling it embargo, became a matter of course in all arrests, and the fiscal was instructed, when the calificación was of formal heresy, to ask for sequestration, in other cases for embargo, and, when freales were the culprits, for embargo of their peculium and papers. So universal was this, that, in 1665, the Suprema required the Barcelona Tribunal to furnish reasons for not embargoing the property in any case of arrest for minor offences. So it continued to the end. In 1815 we find numerous cases of embargo in arrests on charges of bigamy, solicitation, irreverence, propositions, and the like, while the Dominican Fray Tomas Garcia, for celebrating Mass without priest's orders, had his peculium embargoed. 
in this illegal extension of sequestration there is something peculiarly heartless when the offence charged inferred confiscation there was some excuse for making sure that the property would not be secreted or dissipated but in minor cases to subject the offender and his family to the hardship and perhaps ruin caused by seizing his property and holding it during the leisurely progress of his trial merely in order to secure to the tribunal the reimbursement of his maintenance in prison shows how thoroughly hardened the holy office had become to human suffering and how its selfish greed stifled all the promptings of humanity a practical illustration of the process of arrest and sequestration is furnished by the case of anna de torres a woman of twenty-two recently married to gaspar agustin a confectioner of ciudad real testimony of judaism had been gathered against her and on may ninth sixteen eighty the toledo tribunal ordered its familiar don alvaro munoz de figueroa a knight of santiago to arrest her sequestrate her property and send her to toledo with bed and clothing and one hundred ducats on may seventeenth munoz reported that after ascertaining her address he had gone to her house at nine o'clock that night with a notary familiar and servants had carried her off to his own turning out the husband and placing two guards so that the sequestration could be made the next day from what he could see all the contents of the house was not worth one hundred ducats and he was told that they belonged to the husband for she had come to ciudad real in september with nothing but her person moreover she was five or six months gone with child he asked for instructions which were given in apparent disregard of the husband's rights for he was told to make the sequestration and send her with her bed and clothes and whatever he could get for her things on may twenty fourth he reported that he had started her on her journey with four hundred reales about thirty-six ducats which was all that he had realized on the sale of the effects successive relays of familiars carried her gratuitously and the next day the receiver of toledo acknowledged the receipt of the four hundred reales to pay for her food then on july sixth the alcaide reported that she was suffering from an inflammation of the throat which in her condition threatened serious complications the medico was called in who prescribed bleeding and gargles and removal from the confined air of the prison she was taken to the house of the alcaide where she was duly bled and on july eighteenth was sufficiently recovered to ask for an audience in due time on september thirteenth the alcaide reported her confinement and that he had provided a midwife when he was ordered to take care that she had everything necessary for her recovery and comfort on july twenty ninth the child was baptized and the mother brought back to the prison 
when she was placed in a cell with two other women and in october orders were drawn for one hundred forty six reales to pay for the clothes and swaddling bands of the infant and for fourteen reales to the chapel of the cathedral for its baptism the redeeming features of these latter details afford a welcome relief to the sordid eagerness of the inquisition in grasping everything within its reach in order to escape the costs of persecution regardless of the misery which it inflicted in the present case we learn nothing as to the husband presumably innocent thus turned out of his house and stripped of his furniture this was no concern of the holy office end of book 6 chapter 3 part 2